This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to the Human Animal Connection Show, where we believe we can communicate with all animals. Join us as we explore the 33 principles and healing methods of the human animal connection. As animal lovers, we know that you share our commitment to making the world a kinder place for all creatures. Together, let's embrace the transformative healing power of the human animal connection. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Human Animal Connection. I am your host, Michael Overly, and I'm with the amazing and informative Jeannie Joseph. Jeannie, yay! Yay, thank you. It's so good to be with you again. It's so much fun to do these podcasts together. Oh, these are great. Yeah. And today we're talking about Principle 18 in the Human Animal Connection, and it's called Rebuilding a Sense of Safety. And this is one of our foundational principles because when we're doing healing work, it's really interesting. I learned this the hard way, of course, volunteering in shelters, that you can't just go in and say, oh, I'm going to heal this animal. You know, you know, like you can't like have that attitude. It's you have to really look at how safe is this animal feeling? And if the animal's not feeling safe, as many are not in the shelter is a very scary place, you know, uh, then our task is to rebuild a sense of safety. And from there, once the safety tank is reasonably full, doesn't have to be completely full, no one's just completely full. But once we get a, a baseline of safety, then the animal can receive all the other good energy and all the other good healing techniques that we've learned and people out there are practicing. But if you skip that step, then healing is very temporary like they'll get a little lift um, when you're doing the work the massage or the soothing touch or the reiki or whatever you like to do but it won't really reset the nervous system so we have to kind of empty the cup a little bit the cup of experience and we need to refill with a sense of safety and from there we can look at um, how to go further with healing and with training because just trying to do training without taking into account how safe does the animal feel we're really working blind or working dumb. <laughs> so that's what we're talking about here today on this podcast. Yeah. Oh, my, so many good points. But as far as the training, this I think this is so huge. People hire trainers because there may be a behavioral issue with the dog. Mm -hmm. And they don't even stop to think that well, maybe we just need to let this dog settle in. Maybe the dog right. is, is scared, feeling unsure, you know, like yeah. people are anyway, right? Right. So that is so important. Yeah, so that's really a foundational principle in the human-animal connection is to um, first determine what the level of safety is that the animal is experiencing. And if it's a low level, we definitely need to raise it. And even if it's a medium level, we want to raise it because from there, the animal really can bond more deeply. And when an animal is bonded deeply, they're more motivated to please you, to do what you want and to be a good partner to you. And this is really interesting because right now we are fostering a dog for from the shelter, which was a very difficult behavior case. This was a dog that was not going to have a good outcome at the shelter, was the highest rating of behavioral problem, and had been through, you know, really rough rounds of her, her, um, her first um, person had died, so she lost her person and she was astray. And second person got arrested, and animal control had to capture her, and it was a tough capture. And there she was in the shelter and heavily medicated and wild and crazy. And what's interesting is she's so cute. I mean, if Michael, if I, I'm going to send you a picture afterwards of, okay. of her. She has a, her terrible shelter name was Canella, but we, we're renaming it. We're working with the name Lulu, which is a lot sweeter. And she is adorable, but she's a terror. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, and you know, it's we were talking just before we went on the air because our two dogs, the dogs that live with us, are you know, big one, small one, black, white, you know, the, but they have a very harmonious. It's completely, you know, you never have to think about it. Everything is fine. Everything is peaceful. And in a way, I love that. But I, it, it spoiled me. You know what I mean? Because I didn't have to think about anything. And in comes Lulu, the third dog, right? And uh, everything is up in the air. <laughs> and Lulu doesn't have good dog social etiquette. So she'll go and do what all dogs do, sniff the butt, but she does not take the cue that it's enough, right? <laughs> and so one of the dogs will absolutely bark and, you know, just like end of the world bark to let her know. And she'll stop for that moment, but then she'll make that mistake again. So she's got a lot to learn about polite dog uh interactions because she doesn't have the the correct awareness and the impulse control so and my little dog sophia has like just runs from her and of course that triggers the prey drive and then we get the mounting and the whole thing so we have a full house energetically you know <laughs> in terms of what we're dealing with here but it has been extraordinary to work with some of our methods the our first step for the first two weeks our plan is just to help her feel safe which really you know after the first night it was a different dog she was sweet and wonderful and um, still dealing with these behavioral issues. She can't be walked on a leash yet, you know, so she's going in the yard. Um, so we've got a long way to go, but uh, it was amazing to see the difference between giving her some energy healing work and this um, human animal connection techniques on rebuilding her sense of safety. And she's a different dog. Now she has a point of view. She's expressing her opinions. You know, she's, she's, um, she's really... A wonderful dog which we are going to adopt out you know we're just doing the fostering and getting her into uh, a, a level where she could be adopted and she was before she was what's, what's called in our shelter system a purple dot meaning only staff could walk her so there's limited staff and 500 dogs so that meant that she was not getting walked much because volunteers weren't allowed to walk her she was considered too dangerous at the time and she's been uh coming down she's now two levels down to orange so still a high level of reactivity so we're still trying to learn what her her signals are because she's a very fast responder she can go from absolutely fine to snapping so we're working it through so i was just telling you earlier, Michael, that it's really expanding my heart. It's asking me to love at a deeper level. You know, it's easy to love dogs who are totally well behaved and do what you want and are peaceful and cuddly. And then you get this dog whose her first name at the shelter was Bear because she looks like a bear. I mean, she's huge, right? <laughs> and um, to just love her no matter what good behavior, bad behavior, and the middle behavior is still, she still needs this love. And, and then in about two weeks is kind of our timeline that we're going to start introducing some of the training that she would need to go into a home. But for the first two weeks, it's really about decompressing, letting her drop her stress and letting her feel loved and safe and, and cuddly and, you know, trying to let she, you know, whoever worked with her first, she will not sit because that word got blown out. So we can't use the word sit because um, she had a negative reference to it. So we're, we're just working with trying to get her to learn her new name, Lulu. And off, of course, we have to use because of the, you know, she's always up and, and this is a bear sized dog. So it, it's, it, it's a lot. It's a lot. But anyway, um, it's good. 
I'm happy about it. I'm happy that we can save this being who is very lovable and for the right person, you know, who wants it. Right now, she's at the Velcro stage, so she won't leave my side. And uh, I think that she's going to be growing out of it. She's doing a lot of puppy behaviors right now, which is actually great because I think she missed some developmental elements that she needs. And we do what we call repuppying. So we're actually supporting her and being a little puppyish at this point. And then, of course, we're going to want to see her mature up a little bit, but that can only happen once she has a very stable sense of self. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. It really is. Thank, Thank you, you for taking her on. It's funny because the shelter name, as I mentioned, was Canella. It's not a name that I like, doesn't fit her at all. That uh, happens in the shelter. They have so many dogs coming in so quickly, they just throw names at them, you know, regardless of whether they fit. <laughs> and that day, a piece of, and we had a storm here, and that day, a piece of trash flew into my yard, and it was for some kind of uh, cinnamon spice named Canella. Like, I don't know what, I've never seen it. Just the package came and I said, oh, okay, I'm going to the shelter. Because I had seen her picture on the on the thing. I thought, oh, cute dog. You know? um, but then I found out about all, all these issues, you know. But at that point, once the trash threw into my, <laughs> flew into my yard, I said, I think this is a sign. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think I better listen to this, you know, it was on the fence. I mean, I knew it wasn't going to be an easy ride. And so it was a toss up between putting our dogs through the, you know, the transition and the stress. I mean, they're doing okay, but they're definitely not uh, as at ease as they were before number three came into the picture. So, yeah. but we're getting there. We're getting there. You awesome. know, they're, they're, they're willing to be in the same room now. They just won't be, you know, Sophia is not sleeping with me in the, in my room. She sleeps in the living room now because, because uh, Lulu sleeps on my bed. But you know, what was interesting is um, dogs who are trained for PTSD can help well, people with PTSD can help people with PTSD. And one of the things they do is they will wake you up from a nightmare. And last night, um, I had a nightmare. As I do, I have nightmares, right? And she woke me up in the middle of the nightmare. And I was like, wow, there's more to this dog than meets the eye. That's mm -hmm. that's a level of sensitivity because it wasn't like I was thrashing around or anything. I was just having a nightmare, you know, which, and it's the first time in three, she's been here three nights, I think. Um, it's the first time she woke me up from a dream state. Uh, and I'm wondering if she was sensing that I needed to wake up. It was valuable for me to do that, to wake up and process that dream. That's incredible. Yeah, <laughs> so, I know. Yeah, I know. So, I know. So you're learning to trust with her there and she's yeah. learning to trust that she's actually safe. Yes. Right. Yes. So um, talk about that with as far as that being the first step in establishing a sense of safety. Yeah. So one of the things that we look at in the human animal connection when we meet a dog, or especially a dog that is either coming for a session, a private session, or if we're working in the shelter, is we get a general sense of the level of fullness of their safety tank. So we could, you know, just pick a number, we could say a, a full tank is 100. And nobody has 100 fullness. I mean, we all have, we're animals. We are aware that something scary could happen. And fear has a place in, in life. You know, we, we think of fear as being a bad emotion, but actually in terms of evolution, fear is very valuable because it, it teaches us what to avoid. And, you know, so healthy fear is a completely natural, normal, and good process. Unhealthy fear, where fear becomes not related to the actual reality, 
can become very troublesome. So when you have a, a relatively full safety tank, uh, you can calibrate or determine the difference between genuine reason to be fear, like there's a tiger in the room, and not a reasonable reason to be fear. Like if you're afraid that there's a tiger in the room and there isn't, that's not reasonable. But if there is a tiger there, you want that fear because you want your body to respond as quickly and appropriately as possible. So um, what we look at with an animal is what is the level of their safety tank? And if it's low, if it's below 50%, it could be dangerous for the animal and for us. It's dangerous for the animal because they're going to make generalized, you know, if the you know, the wind blows or a sound happens, they go, oh, this is something they have to, oh my God, you know, like it's going to raise their stress level. So that's inappropriate fear. Appropriate fear is, oh, I heard a, noun, I heard a sound. I'm going to attend to it, notice it, look at it, decide it's nothing, go right back to sleep. That's a healthy response to fear. So we're looking at what is the level of the safety tank. And then once we determine that it needs a little support and some help, we do our, our human animal techniques uh, to help raise the sense of safety, which is like a meditation. If you saw us doing it, you'd say, well, they're not doing anything. The dog's just sleeping or <laughs> nothing's happening. Well, what's happening? And this is what I did with Lulu the first night is the whole night, you know, in and out of sleep, I was just doing energy work with her and just uh, helping her to reset her nervous system by finding her own sense of safety. Because right now what I'm doing is I'm giving her a sense of safety, but I want, I can't, keep doing that because then she won't do it for herself. So it's a blend of, I give her a sense of safety that she can vicariously um, absorb from me or it's contagious, right? So she can feel it for me, but then I want her to start feeling it for herself. So just to let, I know you guys can't see, but she's under the desk as we're talking right now. Mm -hmm. You know, this great big thing. I know you can't see her. She's like, maybe she'll come out at some point, but anyway, she's under the desk right now, which means that she is finding a sense of safety for me, which is huge for her because when we got her at the shelter, humans were not necessarily sources of safety and comfort. So step one, humans are, can be a source of safety and comfort. Step two is for her to be able to do that for herself. So right now she is in a completely peaceful state under the desk. So she's using some of her own nervous system to generate this, but using a little of mine too. So we are in this together and it's very good for me too, because I have to maintain my equilibrium and sense of safety, even when the dogs bark or go crazy for an instant. I have to just go, it's okay. It's okay. Not just for her, but for me. Now, yeah. how, how do we teach this to humans? Yeah. In, should it be in third grade? <laughs> <laughs> we could teach, we do this work in the high schools with our canines teach compassion program. So we do teach it. But yeah, I mean, they really need it from so early. I don't know. I don't even know what age to say because. It's uh, certainly once they're verbal, we can teach them these things because we have to explain it. Um, but even with a baby, you know, when you're holding a baby, it's so easy to give them a sense of safety and, mm -hmm. you know, make them feel loved. And no matter what that baby is doing, we still love them. And that's kind of what I have to do with Lulu right now is that she does a lot of things that I don't like, you know, that I won't, don't want. I have to remove all my little statues and Buddhas and little things that she can knock over. She's knocked over everything. You know? <laughs> so, but that's my job to get the, you know, I'm not present them in her path so that she can do that. But, you know, there are things that she does that I don't like. We're in this process together. And so I have to be in that calm state myself in order to be more useful to her. You're giving her healthy attachments, right? Exactly. So we're so, going, we're going to go through the stages just like a kid would go through. So right now we have a Velcro attachment, meaning that she mm -hmm. needs to be near me. Um, um, she 
doesn't need always physical contact like she's under the desk you know so she, we're not touching but lots of times for first like sleeping she needed to be against me now she can sleep on the bed but not having to touch you know that just took a couple of nights and so yeah and then we want her to feel safe in the room at a further distance so we're going through the stages and uh, still early in the process it's only been three or four days here I know people can can have attachment disorders, but can yes. animals have attachment disorders? Yeah, well, that's my theory. You know, like I, I, um, I'm not a scientist, but my observational theory is that some dogs have healthy attachments. They were with their mother long enough, and their siblings long enough, and whatever the you know variables of biology are in terms of a safe. You know, some sometimes even in a litter, you'll see one dog with a very good attachment style and another dog with a less um, secure attachment style. So there are many variables that we don't all understand, but certainly some of them are going to be environmental, like in terms of early experiences. And so I do feel that dogs, you'll see, you'll see this in shelters. Some dogs, like they just bond with a, in a moment, you just go up and you meet them. They love you. Take me home. Let's go. Let's start life already. You know, they're like so ready to just love and be loved and go home and dog that has that secure attachment overly insecure can be like Velcro style, which the stage Lulu's in, but that's a very good developmental stage for her because before humans were not a source of safety. Mm -hmm. So I'm willing to go through this phase with her as she's very, very attached and doesn't want to be not in the room with me. Um, but she can play out in the yard without me for a few minutes. Most of the time she wants to see me there, but she's willing to go and explore for longer and longer minutes in the yard without eye contact with me, but she's sort of in a cycle of about every seven minutes, she needs a little uh, reassurance mm. if I'm not close. So, yeah. That's amazing. It is. It is. Well, you know, it, it's, yeah, you know, humans, we have our experiences and we they cause us to not trust the world or not trust men or not trust women or not trust life or not trust the world or not trust God or whatever it is that, you know, we, we go through this too. And you know, when we understand it, uh, when we recognize it, that that's what's going on, we can begin to heal it. And if you're consciously choosing to heal it, a dog can be a very good partner to heal it with. Hmm. I think I'm familiar with that. I think you are. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. You touched on um, safe and loved earlier and mm -hmm. also safe and connected, mm -hmm. right? And um, and I, I have a theory that all everything that every human does is in an attempt to feel safe and loved exactly it doesn't exactly. necessarily make sense to us all the time what they do right. but right. it's it's to to help them feel safe and loved in that moment so right. tell me more about that with the dogs yeah so just like with people dogs can have a healthy version of it which is they have appropriate ways of asking for attention and the same with people um if if it, that pattern has gotten messed up with then it becomes unhealthy so we do unhealthy behaviors to get attention like in human terms we would call that acting out right so we are misbehaving because we don't know how to get positive attention in positive ways so we become annoying and we've seen dogs who are annoying right they just want so much attention or people who become annoying because they just need so much attention so it can get Get really messed up this this natural impulse to connect to feel safe to be loved um, when we have trauma because the trauma interferes with the natural sense of safety so you know if you don't feel safe then you attempt to get other people to make you feel safe 
And that's where the trouble begins. So like, for example, Michael, and we're not in relationships, but let's say hypothetically, I'm not feeling safe and I expect you to make me feel safe, but you had a bad day too and things didn't go well and you're not feeling safe and I'm trying to get you to make me feel safe, but you're not feeling safe. And it all goes haywire very quickly because of that pattern. So with humans, we have the ability to say, hey, I'm not feeling safe. What do I need to do to feel safe? This is my job to feel safe. And then then other people can help add to that safety, mm-hmm. but we're not expecting um, the other person to make us feel safe. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Should we take a little break? Yeah, I think that'd be a great idea. All right. All right, be right back. Hey friends, if you like what you're hearing and want to learn more, check out Dr. Joseph's book, The Human-Animal Connection, Deepening Relationships with Animals and Ourselves. Or visit the website, thehumananimalconnection.org, to book an online consultation. Thank you for loving animals. Now back to the show. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. All right, welcome back, folks. Thank you for staying with us. we got some more cool stuff to talk about. I hope everybody out there is feeling safe and loved and and learning how to trust a little more. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it is possible, even if you don't have a completely, you know, very full safety tank. No one has a completely full safety tank, but if you're feeling like your safety tank is a little low, um, you might want to enjoy reading my book, The Human-Animal Connection, and there's many techniques for how to restore a sense of safety on the human side, and then, of course, also for the animals. Yeah. Yeah, I concur. It's a great book, folks. Thank you. All right. So what do you got next? What are we talking about next? Well, you know, I wanted to tell you about this one dog in the shelter that I was working with and volunteering. And she was just like, not here. You know what I mean? Like she wouldn't take treats. She wouldn't engage. You couldn't look at her. You couldn't touch her. She was in a special room because she couldn't be in the kennel. And she was just not here. And what I had to do working with her, I mean, it was like even before safety, I had to get her soul back. It, well, I mean, it wasn't that her soul was gone, but she was mis- she was disconnected from her soul. So she didn't have an experience of her soul. Not that her soul had abandoned her or that it was lost, but we do a technique called animal soul retrieval with animals who are this traumatized. And, you know, this was really a dog that couldn't read. She didn't want treats. She didn't want anything, you know, and she had, she had to be given eye medicine. So they had to, you know, touch her, but she didn't want to be touched. And so I began a process that we do called animal soul retrieval, which is basically asking the soul to help come back in and to have her feel the presence of her own soul. And it's something that you you go and you do it and you think, oh, this didn't work. Nothing changed. And you go back and do it the next day and uh, is it working? Maybe I'm not sure. And the third day, try it again. It's like, okay, I think maybe it's working. Finally, like, you know, a week or so into really being present with her, inviting her soul back in, feeling the presence of her soul, there's a point at which they there's like this reconnection that happens. And when that reconnection happens, the animal has a sense of connectivity to their own soul. They don't have that like pathological empty loneliness that is really difficult to heal. You know, you can't even do the most basic, even the safety work that I do. If the soul isn't present, it, well, the soul is present. If the animal isn't feeling the presence of the soul, um, 
it's really hard to do the safety work. So sometimes in some cases, these are rare, you know, this is really severe cases. We call them pancake dogs because they just lay like a pancake. They don't want to go out. They don't want to do anything. They barely eat. So working with her, I did the soul retrieval work. And at first, like I said, I wasn't even sure if it was working, you know, if I kept doing it. And it was about two weeks later that she got adopted. Some, and this was not a pretty dog. This was a dog with like some strange kind of, you know, just looked like an African dingo kind of like, you know, no one, it wasn't someone looking for a cuddly dog. This person really, I don't know who it was because I wasn't there for the adoption, but really happy that uh, she would, became out of her shell. You know, she came out. She was ready to connect and, and engage enough so that someone said, I want to take this dog home. <laughs> I hope they have a wonderful life together. And it's just a good reminder that humans and animals can feel disconnected from their spiritual self. That's what I mean by the soul there, their spiritual nature. And if I can be a little bit helpful in that process, it's really beautiful to watch. And it's slow because you often don't see, it's not like an instant thing. You don't, you don't see the response instantly, but it does work. So I'm happy to do it. Wow. That's quite fantastic. Yeah. Now, um, how many dogs have you done this with? The soul retrieval or the safety mm -hmm. work? The, the soul safe, retrieval. Yeah, the soul retrieval, it's rare. You know, I mean, uh, you know, there's a handful of dogs, maybe uh, uh, less than 12, maybe, or so. I haven't counted exactly. So it's rare that that an animal, I mean, this is an animal that if it were a human, they would commit suicide. You know what I mean? It's that kind of level of, I can't take it anymore being in this body, in this world. There's nothing good here. I can't make it, you know, that is... It doesn't happen that often, fortunately, but it does happen. So, especially if you're volunteering in shelters, you're going to see it. And I think in a lot of shelters, those dogs get euthanized. And um, because nobody knows how to intervene, how, you know, they don't look, they're not going to be adoptable. Who wants to take this lump home? And, you know, I, it's funny because I, I adopted a cat who was almost in that same, not quite as bad, but in that vicinity of, this was before I had my training and I didn't know. And uh, I just thought she was this cute little orange tabby and I wanted a cute little orange tabby because I'd had one before, you know, so that kind of adoption. And she seemed okay in the shelter, you know, when I said so this was in Hawaii and I took her home and she spent six weeks under the bed. You know, all I did was clean the cat box and put food under the bed because she was not engaged. It was six months before I could pet her. I was like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> you know, and, but so it wasn't quite as bad as a soul retrieval, but it was in that ballpark of, of, of level of, and then she became this fabulous therapy cat. Like she could be with me in sessions with humans and she knew exactly when to come in and sit with that person and exactly when to leave. Like even before I did, she just had a sense of here's the energy rising and here's the energy dissipating. She could feel it. So, you know, she just completely blossomed. Yeah. Her, her name was Serafina. <laughs> Ser Serafina? Serafina. Yeah. Okay. My little kitty. Yeah. So how, how do we rebuild that sense of safety? So, um, well, let's start with the human side, you know, so for a human, it, it, if you're really, if your safety tank is really no, low, you may need some help. Like it, it, it is daunting. You're like, if you're drowning, you might need somebody to pull you out of the water. Right. So, um, but if, if you're just feeling, you know, some lack of safety, you know, there are many techniques that you can do meditation, exercise, anything that involves your senses where you really 
just look at the sky or you really just listen to your favorite music or you really just dance to your favorite music or you really just enjoy the sensation of your bare toes in the grass. Getting connected to your senses is one of the ways to get you back reconnected into your body, into your physical system. And when we see someone who's not feeling safe, they're not in their body. People who suffered severe abuse will literally leave their bodies, you know what I mean? Because it's not safe to be in the body. It hurts too much to experience what you're experiencing. And so, but then it gets hard to get back in, you know, how do you get back in? <laughs> and it's the same thing with animals. So we help them, you know, what I'm, one of the things I do with Lulu is that I, I want to give her a lot of static touch, which, which means I either we're leaning against each other or I just have my hands on her. I'm not petting her necessarily because petting yeah. is a, can be overstimulating. So I'm just simply giving her just the slightest compression. I mean, I'm talking a quarter inch of pressure, you know, and just holding that position. And what that does is help her bring her awareness to that place in her body. So I might do that, you know, on her chest, or I might do that on her sides or towards the base of the spine. So different different spots I'll move along to to get her reassociated with the sensation of her body. Yeah. There's more with- in the book. In the book, you'll see the, I really go through all the steps, but yeah, go ahead. Oh, as you say, I, we did something similar with indigo. Uh-huh. She was so hypervigilant and so sensitive to any stimuli. Yes. Um, and so we would just start by just, I just, just gently rest a hand on her back. Mm-hmm. Exactly and right. And before I knew it, I could, you know, I could hold her paws and stroke her paws, oh, but, but I had, uh-huh. we had to build that trust, right? So exactly. um, she had to trust that I wasn't going to hurt her and that she was safe. Um, yes. But the, yes. That, it was that static touch. It was just, just that gentle pressure, mm-hmm. not moving. Not moving, not petting. A lot of people, when they see a scared dog, they'll go to pet it. And it isn't, you know, petting is wonderful when a dog wants it and all that. So it's not that petting is bad. But when we're dealing with this kind of therapeutic work, it's often not petting that they need in that moment. They need yeah. this static touch where you're just simply uh, leaning. And Lulu will do that. When she needs it, she'll lean on me. She'll just mm-hmm. lean on me. And, uh, you know, I think we're kind of moving out of the leaning phase as she's getting more stabilized. But, but yeah, there was a lot of leaning in that first day or two. Just, yeah, so that you were right to do that. That is exactly right. And it 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 conditions them, meaning it, it prepares them for more, you know, for petting and for more of the touch that goes on between a human and a dog. So, um, but to for humans, we need to recognize what is the level of safety that the being that we're sharing our life with is feeling? And if it's low, what can we do to help them feel more safe? And this is something when I'm doing animal communication, one of the things I'll say to an animal in a session is, what can I do to help you feel even more safe right now? And sometimes the answers are so interesting. You know, it's very unique. You know, it isn't one size fits all. That's a really good question to ask of a human and of an animal and when possible to do what they ask for. Yeah. So in the next lesson, in um, the next episode, we're going to talk about principle 19, which is trust as the foundation of healing. So once we build a sense of safety, then we move on to build a sense of trust, which is what we've been doing with Lulu so that she feels like humans are trustworthy. And that's what's going to allow her to be adoptable. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. So excited. Yeah. All right. Thanks for joining us, everybody. And Jeannie, we will see you soon. Thank you. Aloha for now. Aloha. Thank you for tuning in to the Human Animal Connection Show. Please visit our website, thehumananimalconnection.org. 
There you can sign up for our free email newsletter, book a consultation, or check out our blogs and resources. Our best-selling book, The Human-Animal Connection, is available on Amazon. And your donation of any amount keeps our nonprofit organization providing life-changing services. You can reach Michael Overly, author of Let Your Dog Lead, Musings on How to Create an Exceptional Life, on his website at dogsandmen.com or email michael at dogsandmen.com. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.